Hi, I'm Jim. And I'm David. And this is the Practical Guitarist Podcast. The podcast for people who eat, sleep, and breathe guitar. Hi, Jim. Hi, David. I'm I'm tired. Um, You've been traveling, though. Yeah, I just got back from Maryland yesterday, uh, 9.15 p.m. or something. I finally got home uh, after walking three days, uh, basically on my feet all day long at a conference, recording video, audio, um, and doing other grunt work, running a silent auction, um, pretty much anything else that needed to go on. It was, it was crazy. It's the first time I've done it. Um, so yeah, and it it's taking a last. No, no, I volunteered for next year. Actually, that was real fun, but I just, I was just tired. Hopefully next year I can come up and at least, uh, hang out. We won't be in Washington next year. We'll be in Grapevine, Texas. Oh so. my, that's even more fun actually. Yeah, we're going, well, I, like I want to go back to, I want to go back to San Antonio. So that, yeah, that kind of works out. Nice. So anyway, um, if you are listening regularly to our podcast, you can join the Practical Guitarist Facebook group. And as always, you can review us on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you're uh, receiving our podcast. Um, feel free to reach out to us directly at practicalguitaristpodcast at gmail.com. And seriously, I am going to get that email address going. Um, so yeah, look for that. That's coming soon. Anyway, Jim, so what do we want to talk about today? So this week, before we get too deep into things, believe it or not, somebody told me personally, because I was showing my friends, they said, you do this podcast thing? I said, yeah. They they said, let me me hear it. And and they actually listened for like 15, 20 minutes. And then somebody pipes up and goes, the other guy has a much better radio voice than you do. What? (laughs) That's a bunch of... All right. (laughs) Whoever said that, you're full of shit. No, no, he's... He said I it's ex- because well, Jim, you have Jim, a deeper voice, and so it does boom better. Well, yeah, I'm also closer to the microphone than you are. Um, but the thing is, like, I'm using a large diaphragm condenser, and it's kind of known for being boomier and picking up better low end. Let's see how I sound when I do this. Um, you're probably clipping the mic, but it's okay. I'm probably clipping the mic, but it's okay. Yeah, that sounds better. <laughs> and no, I, set I-, my, I set my microphone so that I can sit. About a foot and a half. <laughs> well, guess what? You can tell us sons of bitches it doesn't matter because we're not on the radio, okay? That's we're right. We're podcasters. Last, last I checked, we were coming out of iPhones and Androids and computers and stereos in cars, things like that. If you want, you guys can tell us what you listen to us on. And um, be better yet, I- it would be, yeah, it would be nice because we would know how to EQ better. Um, also, Tell us what kind of speakers you listen to. I mean, if you listen to us through a tinny set of iPhone headphones or even through your car radio, you're probably just saying, eh, this is good enough. Well, so, I want to, I, I, just as a um, kind of a behind the scenes thing for people who are interested, um, the way I record the podcast is typically um, I have a, a channel strip set up in a, in a template in Logic. And on that template, I have, I don't normalize anything, I just compress and, and then I run a limiter on top of that to get the level to the right area. So I tweak that and that's pretty much it. So we don't even yeah. do multiband compression. I mean, I could bring up Jim's the bass and Jim's voice very easily by using multiband compression, but we're yeah. not doing that. And we do with a not single yet. mono track of audio. I mean, we're not even panned. So right, it, right. there's nothing crazy I mean, it, going on. Right. It is stereo, but it's stereo in that it's the yeah. same level on both sides. There's no panning left and right. 
which we could right. do. It would just, you know, would obviously have to be a different way of putting it out. Well, Skype, because um, we, for those of you who are interested, we do record via Skype phone call. Skype has got a creator package coming, creator update, and yep. it's going to have all that stuff in it. You'll be able to pan people right and left. You'll be able to actually record directly in Skype, no more OBS. Um, yeah. You'll be able effects and stuff. That'd I don't know nice. what the effects platform they're going to choose is, but they, they've been talking about it for a while, so I'm kind of waiting on it. And for those interested, we're um, we're just a little over a month away from going to uh, oh, video. GearFest. Yeah, we got GearFest, and then we'll be going to video after that. Hey, We're actually Jim, during that, right? Jim, I'm getting my cabinet tomorrow. Oh, I that sold is my, so nice. I sold my big, I big, my big 1x12 today, <sighs> and I'll be getting a smaller 1x12 tomorrow. Yep. So I'm ready to go. <laughs> yeah, I so I um yeah I'll bring my cabinet. I should bring my cabinet. Um, so I got a I got a surprise for you. This is a surprise even to David as I bring this into the camera. Oh, you did get one. So I went to Guitar Center and it was serendipitous. Did I you? um I put this on the back, but oh, um, it had crappy Velcro on the back. I put good Velcro. I had most of the guys. Pet's DNA and his own DNA on there, so I, maybe his wife's. I don't know. It was a whole lot of hair. <laughs> it was like he used it as a comb. It was like, whoosh, whoosh, let me brush the dog with it. Um, but I took that off and I put mine on there. But I got the uh, yeah, I got the four button Spark yeah. TC Spark booster, which is very similar to the um, the exotic uh, AC booster. I want to say. Yep, yep. And yep. the thing I like about this, it's got the gain, which I can turn all the way down. And still change my level, which I thought was great. Um, so I can I can add a little dirt. I like the mid um, clean uh, fat button or switch. And of course, you got bass and treble. So it has much more um, control than the one I had. I had the MXR. Um, what was it called? The MXR Dynacomp. And the problem mm-hmm. with the Dynacomp was. As everybody said, it's noisy. Well, compressors are noisy. They're inherently noisy. Yeah, that's great. You're raising the noise floor by using a compressor. Exactly. So you have to be very and, – and the thing about the Dynacomp and the reason why people say they're they're noisy, number one, that circuit is a ripoff of the old Ross compressor. And I'm probably right. going to get some of the facts here wrong because I don't remember the entire history. I'm not a big Dynacomp geek, but there are people out there that can tell you the whole history of that that circuit. And the modern ones are lacking a lot of components that, that – Many people believe um, enhance functionality on that pedal, right? And um, basically, you know, a lot the guys that use the Dynacomp either use it as as a real hard compression or a super light compression. In my experience, I mean, there's a couple guys that kind of ride the middle. David Gilmore is one of them. Yep. Um, but but the thing is. Gilmore's not using like a, a Dynacomp like you can buy at the store right now. Gilmore's using a Dynacomp from like 1971. You know, it's like it's ancient. Oh yeah. Um, and then you have the two versions, and that's the thing. Just like the Spark Booster, so I have the four, uh, four control. I guess one button for uh, four dials. There's one that's only got two. Got one. It's level. Up and yep. Down, and then you got the button. That's, that's the it. mini one. Yep. Now. Um, to go into the to go into some more of the the Dynacom stuff. Hey, Jim, your complaint that it's noisy was not really my experience with it. Um, not any noisier than any other compressor. I have I have two comments on this pedal that that are what ruled it out of my board. Number one, I had one. Well, so I had one for several years. 
um, and it and it scoops all the bass off your off your signal. It cuts everything below 250 hertz. I mean, it is absurd how much bass it drops off. Yep, I um, read that. Um, every single review I read, positive or negative, said that. And yeah, which there are if you're running high gain, and you want to take out that bass, like in a like say you got a dual rectifier, you know, and you got a lot of bass coming out of that, and you want to enhance the you know the sound of your guitar coming through it, you can drop the bass off by using something like a Dynacom. But then again, you still have to put up with the fact that it's a compressor, and it's not, it is not a uh, transparent compressor at all. It's just right. a, a simple utility compressor. And actually, if anything, I would say it's closer to a limiter. Yeah, yeah. So, and that anyway. was that was something that that was the reason I took it right back. Yeah. So I actually, um, Jim, I bought uh, a pedal from my local store. They make they make these in house. It's called the Eleven Touch and Squeezing Compressor, and oh, it yeah. is based. It is based on the old Ross circuit, but it adds the two knobs that Keeley added to his version as well. Yep, yep. Um, and it sounds really freaking good. It's very transparent, um, and it's it's actually quite a bit warmer than my Dynacomp was. So I do have that laying around. I just I don't use it a whole lot. I mean, if I was gonna get if I was gonna di or something, I might I might bring that along, but. It's just compressors are compressors. I mean, as long as as long as it's pretty neutral sounding, you're you're good to go. And that was the thing I was looking for. Although <clears throat> I think I'll probably since this is going to be um, this is going to be used for boost. Um, obviously, there's a booster, and it's going to be used for boost. Um, I might make use of that gain a little bit. How do you, um, Jim? How do you feel about uh, compressors with a with a blend knob? So. I Maybe used, haven't used one. I've I mean, only used fine. yeah, I've used um the which ones have I used? For compression, yeah. I used the force field once where I'm for a little while from TC Electronic. Okay. Um <clears throat> I used uh uh the EP or no exotic the SP, yeah, yes, e- the SP. SP SP um compressor. Um and I used the um it was another one. I wanna say it was a uh it was a Wampler pedal, I think. Yeah, I, and all of them were. I believe it or not, of all of them, I liked the SP best. The but SP I, is a good compressor. I mean, yeah. it is. Yeah, it was simple. It did what I wanted. I mean, I didn't want to have all this stuff. Um, oh. But that said, I kind of want to get my hands on a um, Keeley workstation and play around a little bit with that. So the um, the SP, I had. Uh, I haven't had one. I've tried one. And I ended up buying the, the love and touch and squeezing because I liked it better. But what I did like is that blend control. That and I and I use that in my DAW too. Um, actually, all of my stuff has um, all the the plugins and logic have a the ability to pipe in some some direct signals so you can you can bounce out. And what that gets useful for is you just want to enhance the sustain of a sound, but you don't want to affect the initial attack. Right. That's great. <laughs> yep. Oh. And that's the thing that that was always getting to me. That's why I like uh, that blending. I, I, when you play through a compressor, um, and that's the thing I, I I was looking at, and I probably still will get it because this is this is more about boost, yeah. Um, and the compressor is a completely different thing. Um, the Keeley Compressor Plus has the blend knob on it. Well, the great thing about compression is uh, for for people who are not well versed and haven't used one before, you put the compressor at your the front of your board. And you can use that to set levels. So even if you switch guitars, it's gonna 
help you equalize what's going through your effects. If your rig is entirely effects driven and you're not really using the amp for any distortion, you probably should have a compressor on your board. Yep. And so. that's that's where uh, um, I'm probably going to put the Keeley compressor. Like I said, probably the plus. Um, I've been eyeing the workstation, which is what, like three hundred bucks. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, maybe we'll get maybe we'll see some deals at Gearfest. Yeah, that's what I'm kind of waiting on um, is Gearfest to see what they've got there, and I'm gonna. I I like there. that freaking compressor he just put out the the classic. But I don't like I said I got a premium compressor already, so oh, the classic. to go to the classic comp, it would really have to be stunning to me. But now, so he's got also the the um, previous to when he went to the compressor plus and that kind of thing. He had like a gray box. Yeah, that's the four. That's the four knob thing that he made before, and I forget what yep. the name of that that compressor was. But that my, my compressor is very similar to that. Yeah, they've got they've got one at, at our guitar center, um, and. Uh, it was $144 used. Okay. So I thought that yeah. was a little. Well, they go for two, 300. So yeah. The classic comp is quite a bit cheaper or the, the new and the comp plus is quite a bit cheaper. And I think it's a little bit more flexible for certain things. So you like the, uh, um, the one that's, uh, is, my my website is all screwed up. Trying to find, as far as trying to find the one that I can show you, but uh, yeah, it's you know, I, I mean, as far as a compressor goes, the um, the thing you want from a compressor, obviously, limiting um, or sustaining. That's what I look for. It's not the yeah. limiting as much as the sustaining. Now, yeah, most people don't want you to limit the the attack. The um, the Cali seventy six. Yep. It's an expensive pedal. Uh, but man, that thing sounds good. Like I honestly, if, if I was really, if I was a country player, that's what I would get. Right. <laughs> I wouldn't get anything else. So uh, maybe no boss. I mean, they're used, but 200 bucks for a used one. Yeah. They're, they're incredible. And everybody I knew who has was like, I'm not, I'm not going to sell it. Like there's no way. Yeah. So yeah, this guy did. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I know people sell them. I, I'm not just saying like you get hard for money and things happen, but. Um, people really like that thing, so. Oh yeah, I just I, I I've looked at the Boss compressor, and it just uh, it's a good. Hey, anything Boss makes is solid. Yep. Like I could totally, if I dumped all my old pedals when I was using the pedal rig, I could have gone completely Boss and been totally happy. Oh yeah. Really wouldn't have made much of a difference. Yeah. So. And most of the time, it's fine. Except for so, maybe my fuzzes, but. Yeah. So this week I was, I read some terrible news, Dave. Terrible news. Oh it was yeah! All over the Facebook, it was all over everything, and it was. And the reason that it was terrible Henry was because Jesse it was Gibson, isn't he? Yeah, it was. It was news about no news. Yeah, there's a it's song not... called "No News," and that's exactly what this was. Well, this I don't was think a bro it's... country song called "No News." I don't think it's. I don't think it's necessarily no news so much as very little news or right. uh, or very of very little report. Right. Um, on was there's I think it was nothing Monday. to see here. I think it Monday, uh, they, well, I was actually on Sunday, uh, Gibson published a statement out to the press basically saying that they were filing for bankruptcy. Um, if anybody is familiar with how bankruptcy works, it doesn't mean that Gibson's closing its doors. It can, in some cases, mean that a company's closing its doors. But Gibson was very, very adamant that they're using this as an opportunity to rethink their, their strategies, and they're bringing in some new investment partners to help refinance some of their debt. 
so that they can continue operations. Now, that being said, it's contingent upon a couple of things. Some of those were not spelled out very clearly. Um, various media outlets were reporting things differently. Some people were saying that Henry Jeskowitz could keep his job. Some people were saying, no, well, really, he's going to be kept on as a consultant for a year. Um, Bloomberg was the one that they reported that he would be kept on um, for at least a year, and then he would be paid out. He's actually getting a parachute payment right now that's going to secure his status for the rest of the year. And next year, um, up until the same date, and then he would be either he would either find a new role within the company, or that they would migrate him out. Um, I think he gets to continue to keep his shares, which that's a, that's a whole other thing. But um, yeah, I I kind of agree with you, Jim. That the, the news will be in five years when Gibson is back with good production and good results, and they've sold off these companies that were albatrosses that they should not have bought in the first place. Um, you know, they're just they're kind of reaping what they sow with their bad management. And this is just the final like, hey, everybody, look, Gibson really is in trouble for those of you who didn't believe it. So, yeah, I think one of the things that um, I was looking at was that there really isn't anything going to happen in the short term. I don't even think you can look back a year from now. And we'll be able to say, oh, yeah, it was this. You know what I mean? There's going to be um, no line of demarcation. Right. Um, I th- I know they talk about the Norlin era, and I think we're currently in the Juskowitz era. When they when they go back and they talk about it, that's what they're going to call this. Yeah. Um, I think when you go back and you, you examine that part of the history, I don't think there's going to be a clear delineation. And that's always done in historicity. So like 10 years later, people are, or 20 years later down the road, people are going to be able to have a line of demarcation and say, okay, Guthars pre-2017 are right. you know, good and the ones after you know the ones or that there are good or bad depending on how history judges it um are of this and then yeah. because it's going to be a transit a long transition they're going to continue to use bodies necks that they they produced during the just Quits era for a few years and then maybe even some designs that were already in the pipe um so it could be i just said it could be seven or eight years before we see real changes in gibson's strategy um, but the main thing is having Jeskowitz out gives the uh, the companies that have partnered with Gibson a little bit more leeway in terms of extending them credit, number one, um, because right. they see that there's a change in direction. And it also helps them establish um, a – thinking we're talking about credit. Right. Uh, it helps them establish a better um, rapport with their investors who now can sit there and say, well, they're at least trying to make changes so people can you know, actually trade the stock or buy, buy corporate bonds, et cetera. Yep. And so uh, we're, we're not going to see, as we said, any clear line. You won't be able to say in five years, oh, the 2017s weren't as good as the 2018s, weren't as good as the 2019s, you know, so on and so forth. There's going to be it's a, a gradual transition. Gradual transition. It's That's just like things. It's just like the people that okay. So if we if we look at the Fender example, I'm sorry to interrupt him. Yep. If you look at the Fender example, and I and I wanted to bring this up before the 1970s Strats. Oh my God, it's post CBS. It's terrible. Yep. Uh, Listen, not all of them were bad. Okay, right. and there's a there's a a five year gray area in the middle. So it's like one of these things where you know, people you're attaching value to bullshit. Yeah, yeah, and that's the thing. Um, uh. You know, what I was getting at here is that uh, without that line, that delineating line, um, you know, what what we really need to focus on 
is how are they going to implement these changes? What implement what changes will be implemented first? I mean, will it be that we'll see a rise in quality control? Will we see a drop in prices? I mean, that's got to happen. Um, I think I think we're going to see both of those things, but I think the scale at which we see it is going to be interesting. Like how how quickly that happens, right? Um, one of the big challenges that's facing Gibson Rice right now under Jeskowitz was that they had continuous people coming in and out of management over there. Um, he was constantly hiring and firing. People would quit because they didn't want to work for him. Um, and so building any sort of structure that would enhance their quality control couldn't happen in that environment because nobody would ever get com- uh, comfortable or familiar with their processes long enough to actually make lasting improvements. So, yeah, anybody that's been through um, a large change in management um, in the past can tell uh, when the the corporate structure starts to feel like it's changing because, um, sorry, my dog is drinking in the background here. <laughs> and, it's um, okay, Jim. We're, we're, we're all animal lovers. Yeah, he's now he's just laying down behind me. Big dummy. Uh, no, but... Uh, the um, <clears throat> whenever you get a bunch of management in flux, you get movement because every manager wants to be able to. Oh, I've got better ideas than the last guy. You know, we've all been there. We walk in, um, and it's I can do this better. Especially guitar players, right? The old Joe. Oh yeah, about guitar players. Oh, uh, what that well, guy did, heard, I can do better. You heard the rumor going around, and I think it's probably internet BS, but there's a rumor going around that Joe Bonham also wants to buy Epson. I would not be surprised. Here's the thing. I don't think that he can, uh, even him, I don't think he leverage every instrument that he owns, right, and by Gibson. What I do think he could be, I think he would be a good choice as a, not a CEO, because he doesn't have that kind of time. He wouldn't be a practicing musician. Spokesperson or a custodian. Right, but he could be a consultant and a spokesperson. Here's the thing that that we've we've said a hundred times. Gibson is not listening to its, its, um, fan base. It is not improving. It is not doing better quality. Um, yeah. And what what improvements it's making are things nobody wants. And yet, the one improvement I saw only recently was the change in the neck heel, and that's only on the 2018 Les Paul um, style guitars. And I think I think they did that in the Explorers as well. You don't really need it on the SGs. So. Yeah. Um, I. I don't know. I'm, you don't I'm see, done. You don't I'm see done them, with this topic, Jim. There's nothing see them, to talk about here. <laughs> well, what I'm saying is you don't see them um, uh, building bases the way that they did. You don't see the Evo making yeah, the comeback. Yeah, I mean, that's another thing. Like, Do people really one want of the, that? One of, the, one of the markets – so they've got all these companies, right, Right. That they, that they own and trademarks that they own. They own Steinberger. They own Kramer. They own yep. Gibson. Actually, let me see if I can get a list of Gibson brands. Um, so I can go through it because because I can name off the guitar companies they own, but there yes. are, are a bunch of other brands that right. they own. Uh, and the thing that that I'm getting at is they kept buying things. It's like okay, now we sell plates, dishes, and and laundry soap. And the thing is, nobody wants Gibson pods, and you know <laughs> they're not gonna they're not gonna throw right. Gibson dryer sheets in their dryer. I got the uh, list over here. Yeah, sure. So from Wikipedia, they own Baldwin Piano, Sirwin Vega, Dobro, Epiphone, Esoteric, Harmony Central, Integra, Kramer, KRK Systems, 
uh, Maestro, Ankyo, Sling, uh, Slingerland, Stanton, Steinberger, Tascam, Teak, and Tobias. And they just liquidated uh, the company that owns Cakewalk. So, right. Um, I think yeah, Cakewalk I mean, was the beginning of this whole thing. As far yeah. As the ones they were getting rid of. Well, like Slingerland, like I kind of get that one. Ankyo, not really. I don't Ankyo get Ankyo. Was, I don't get Tiak. I don't get Tascam. I mean, I get it, but I don't get it. I mean, if you looked at it in the broad sense of music, well, then why don't they own, you know, a, a music? Or even Sir, what about Sir Win Vega? Jim. Sir Win Vega is another one. Why That's buy like, Sir Win Vega? Hell? Unless you had plans on going into the amplifier business again. Now, Gibson used to make amplifiers. Yeah, uh, they made some pretty cool uh, A-class amps about 20 years ago. That, or, well, they're probably even 20 years ago. It's probably 10 years ago that were actually kind of interesting. Um, I actually liked them quite a bit. But Yeah, uh, you know, I think the only thing I think the only thing we're going to see after the shakeout, we're definitely going to see Epiphone stay. We'll see Gibson stay. Now, will we see um, Steinberger? I, my understanding is Steinberger is one they'll just get rid of. I think. Well, honestly, uh, it's not just Steinberger. I mean, Steinberger and Kramer, I think, are, right. are two big properties that are worth a lot of money to them. And I think they would be better either as independent entities or in somebody else's hands. Yeah. Um, G- Gibson is not going to start making Kramer guitars unless they use the Kramer label. And start another company to do it. Right. And they they just have no desire to do so. Uh, they they made the music yo thing for a while, where yeah. they were having these guitars offshored from both Steinberger and Kramer. Um, my understanding is that, and I had I had one of the music yo guitars. They weren't terrible, um, but they could have been done a lot better. And I know they've made some custom shop Kramers through the Gibson uh, custom shop, but yep. the main thing is guys. This is not – you could make a cash cow here if you dump these – you liquidate these assets and let these companies run themselves. Gibson does not have a history of designing and manufacturing guitars in the way that uh, Steinberger and, and, and Kramer, uh, Kramer no. do. No, completely different. Steinberger is a guitar of its own. Matter of fact, I was just watching a video yesterday that had a Steinberger in it, and I was like, oh, I remember those. The bass. They really sh- – they really should – this headless craze is going on right now. Yep. If I were Gibson, I'd be like, let's form a small like eight man team to build high end Steinbergers to right. compete with uh, Strandberg Kiesel. and and uh, Kiesel. Yeah. Yeah, because they could. And then yeah. the other the other side of that is the Kramer. I mean, we are seeing a resurgence, and, and it's in the YouTube community, but it is a huge resurgence of the flashy guitar player. I want banana headstocks. Period. They're great. I love them. Yeah. They, they look hilarious. They're hilarious. They have a certain look, but they also have a certain um, utility. They have a yeah charm and appeal to them as well. Yeah. That's and yes, utility as well. Yeah. Um, so spin them off, Gibson. Save some money. Yeah, put and, them. Uh, let them make everybody thing. happy. I now, would be, Kramer. I would buy more after buy a Gibson if they spun off Kramer. Yeah, Kramer was a. Uh, um, so correct me if I'm wrong. Wasn't that one of the Frankenstrat parts? Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, well, it was a Sh- when it was Charvel. I don't know. It was one of the he had bi- he had business he with had, everybody, right? He had business with Kramer at some point. He had Charvel. He had Jackson. Yeah, right? Grover Jackson. Because yeah. Grover so. Jackson wasn't he in the um, custom shop in uh, Bender at the time? Yeah, yeah. Well, no, Grover Jackson actually was making he what he's doing is buying necks from Fender and then making them really really fancy and then selling them to people. Yeah, yeah, making necks. 
No, Gro- yeah, Grover, yes, Grover Jackson, correct. Yeah. And then that same thing with Charvel. So Yeah, so what was Kramer? Kramer had something going on, right? They, they, there was something. I mean, the 80s was Kramer, Jackson, and Charvel. Yeah, Kramer, Kramer was kind of the same thing. They started out as a parts company. Even Schechter started out as a parts company. Yeah. They were supplying bodies and necks to different people and then ended up becoming a, a company all of their own. Um, and I think Kramer actually has more of a stigma than the other companies, despite them all having some kind of shady business dealings. But <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, come on. Jack- That's all another episode. <laughs> well, you know what? <clears throat> Since we're talking about it, um, so one of the things that, that Gibson did, and they're not the only ones, we're just going to pick on Gibson first, okay? Was those shitty Gibson guitars and those totally shitty ninety nine dollar Epiphones? Yeah. All right. So four hundred dollar Gibsons, the SL models. Yes, the four hundred dollar Gibsons and the hundred dollar, the ninety nine dollar um, Epis. Nobody asked for that. What they want, Gibson. Here is the thing that Gibson's not hearing. Nobody wants. Well, some people they'll they'll take a, a guitar for a dollar and bitch about it. But yeah. Some most people are saying, okay, you know what? Here's here's the limit. Twenty five hundred dollars should be your high end, not the beginning of your mid middle end. Yeah, and that's all people are asking Gibson to do. Bring some of those. Bring some of those. Um, twenty eight hundred to thirty two hundred dollar guitars down. Shift that price point down. The twenty five hundred dollar guitar should be down at fifteen hundred dollars somehow, and well, then so on and so forth. Now I don't know if they can do that in the United States. I, I honestly don't. But well, there's people. Okay, I and and I, this is one I I told you. Don't let me forget this. I'm gonna mention it. So RNA Music. So I reached out to them and I asked them about um, their CMGs. So they're getting five custom CMGs. Number two is on its way. Number one is sold. They are only twelve hundred and fifty dollars. This is yeah. a this is a very well cut USA made. You can look up CMG. That's Charlie Mike Golf guitars. <clears throat> you can look those up. Um, they're charging twelve hundred and fifty dollars out the door from the dealer for a custom made um, CMG with, that's a Les Paul style with a maple neck. Interestingly yep. enough, bolt on. Um, no. Okay. No, it's not a bolt on. I just, I just curious. I just asked. Yeah. So if you if you look it up. Um, I'll put a link. I'll send you a link so we can put it in the podcast notes. Um, the uh, the guitar has um, EMGs, but they're not the active EMGs. Yeah, the the and the passive EMGs are actually really good. Yeah, they're so they're passive EMGs with a um, set neck, and they've got the new the cut in the heel, the belly cut. And yeah, these are beautiful. I'm looking at I'm looking at them right now. I'm looking at the Ashley model. Yeah, that's and they're so Ashleys. So they've only got five coming into RNA Music. So folks, we'll we'll put a link in there in our thing. But if you're interested in seeing those things, um, or you're in the Texas area and you can go there, um, the these guitars are for the money. This is an incredible guitar, just yep. incredibly well made guitar. Yeah, they they are actually, and they're even nitro finished. Yeah, nitro finished twelve hundred dollars. That's why I'm trying to figure out can Gibson slide their price points down so they can make a standard give us a a, a Les Paul standard under two grand yeah you know, these are yeah, fantastic looking these are fantastic looking um, and you know the thing is 
I was just this this plays back into what I was going to ask you, Jim, which is find me a USA made guitar company that goes for that amount of money. And right. and really, here it is. There it here, is. Here's one. And, and now they're a small company. Yep. Gibson can certainly prioritize and get their manufacturing processes in line to offer a guitar at that price point. Absolutely. I mean, you can keep the custom shop. The custom shop, and I don't mean that in a sarcastic way. I mean, you should maintain the custom shop. And of course, those things are going to be expensive. They spend a lot of time. There's a lot of work that goes into them, you know, so on and so forth. But when you look at um, a Les Paul right now, it's really not a different. You've got no, you've got no R and D in it. Where's, where's the money going? And that's what people are wondering. If you could pump out a, um, a uh, Le, uh, Les Paul uh, Epiphone overseas, with with okay, it's got a slightly cheaper um, bridge. Okay, the cost of the bridge isn't that much. Got a slightly cheaper set of pickups and electronics. No, that cost is not that much. Somebody can take an Epiphone, gut it, put it back together. And still be under a grand. And so you've got to show people, look, this is what's going on. And we can talk maple caps all day. We can talk tone woods all day. We can talk all kinds of things. I, I was thinking, you know, I was looking at PRSs. And I'm thinking the same thing. I'm like, okay, you got the, the S2 line. which yeah, is really, I was going to go there. Yeah. All right. Which is really just the Korean parts put together in Maryland. It's the... Yeah. It's the um, 85 Save for the neck and bo- the neck and body are not Korean, but right, everything but the, else is. That's right. The 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 eighty five fifteen S, not the PRS ones. They're putting S pickups in there. Yeah, <clears throat> and they're putting um, the uh, the Korean hardware on it. Yep. And and really and and they're and they're not making any bones about the fact that the uh, the cap isn't is a veneer. Yeah, veneer. On top of a, on top of a chunk of maple, but right, yeah, right. veneer, no but less. It's still a veneer. So it's really, it's the it's here. Pay us seven hundred dollars more for the same guitar you can get that says SE on it. Right, right. Except it was made in Indonesia. Are we really? That is proof right there because because of the fact that PRS can do that and they do do it and people are buying it that people are willing to say, oh, it was made in America, so that's why. Yeah. Yeah, and you know that, and that's the that's that's the rub. A lot of these companies, like uh, Reverend, yep. uh, you know, Reverend makes like you know kind of Fender esque style instruments. They're all bolt on, etc. Um, they're they they build them in Korea. They bring them here. They they quality check them here, and then they get shipped out. GNL does the same thing. Their their guitars are built in Indonesia now. They come here. They quality check them and actually do work to them, and then send them out. So the the way that I look at the situation is like, well, what are you really getting if you have a guitar made in the United States? You, the whole idea is you get a quality control operation that's way better, which is why people are so pissed off at Gibson. You pay three grand, you still get shit quality control. Uh, I don't, I I don't believe I. I've heard other people say this lately that the Gibson quality control thing is a myth. I honestly don't. I kind of in the middle. I don't think they set their guitars up right for the factory. I think their setups are shit. And 95% of the time when you have a crap Gibson in your hand, it's because it was not set up by the store when it got in. Absolutely. I mean, one of the things that I saw Paul Reed Smith um, in an interview, I can't remember if it was with uh, um, the the guys in Andertons or what, but he was saying, you know how he came up with these different colors? He was saying, well, we had this this problem in the wood. He loved the piece of wood, but there was this problem with the wood. 
So we use that color to <laughs> to mask <laughs> in the wood. So that's how we came up with this blue and this green and this black and this. And I was like, <laughs> and when your yeah. core when your core line has thirty two different color, Paul Reed Smith does. You can do that. You can right. get away with that, and that's fine. Nobody cares. But that keeps your prices down too. Absolutely. The big thing about the big thing about Gibson, and I think I've had a conversation with somebody I'm fairly close with who's actually uh, kind of in the industry, and he says, "Well, the reason why Gibsons are expensive is because they want that one piece cap." And I said, "Well, okay, fine. I get that. Then offer a line of guitars, USA made, right. that doesn't have a one piece cap. Doesn't have the one piece cap. It's cap." Right. I mean, okay, I was just going to go there. You 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 beat me to that. So they're the only ones, well, I'm not the only ones, but they're the big one who's offering a one-piece cap. How is Fender doing it? They're not making a cap. There's no cap. It's just a piece of alder or a piece of, um, you know, uh, swamp ash or whatever. It is not. Uh, there's no cap. So okay, here's yeah. what, right? Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, I'm just saying. So it's one piece cap. You've got to, and you've got to make a nice one piece cap. Where Paul Reed Smith goes here, I'm going to book my book match this piece. I'm going to take it, yeah, book match it, and it may or may not book match exactly. But obviously, the better the the book match, the number of A's they give to it, you know, yeah. which is a made up thing. We all know that. Yeah, it's just it's eye grading. <laughs> yep, it's eye grade. I mean, you can look at you look at mine, and I'd call it you know, at least eight or nine, you know, there, there's little places, but nothing, um, terrible. Now <clears throat> that said, I didn't think about the fact that now, now, I, now as a Paul Reed Smith lover, I still think that their core line is a bit overpriced. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I and I, when I say a bit, I'm talking six, seven, or I mean, you, you cannot tell me um, and I would say this to Paul Reed Smith to his face, which I'm hoping to be able to do <laughs> in person um, in June. And that is that, um, you know, why is it that there's such a gap? It's another company where there's this huge gap. Here's the CE at $2,000. Here's the S2 at $1,500. And then here's your bottom end core line over two grand. There's a $1,000 gap in there. Or yeah. over three grand, sorry. There's a thousand dollar gap in there. There's a gap between. There's nothing between two. Th- or yeah, two thousand and three thousand. Well, there's some S twos that are that are a little bit pricier. Well, the S two yeah. doesn't count because the S two is really just the Korean model. Yeah, they're they're pricier, but they're. I mean, where is their two thousand to the the real American? Yeah, like the fifteen the fifteen hundred to two thousand dollar piece of the range there, right? No, I agree. Yeah. Uh, so. All right. Let's, I could say the same thing about Fender. We could go to Fender. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. No, I'm not I'm not disputing what you're saying. I'm I just thinking like so with what PRS has done, right? They got their Korean line that is obviously in many ways superior to the S two line because you okay. get the pretty tops, you get the binding, you get all that stuff, but yep. you don't get made you don't get made in USA. And you don't they get even have you don't get the even, premium seven hundred dollar price tag extra. They even have Paul Reed Smith on the headstock, right? That's so now right. Gibson and Fender have distanced themselves from, from them in the sense that Fender's guitars only come from Mexico and the United States. Right. Right. They don't 
make anything in Korea that comes out of Fender. They used to they used to sell Japanese guitar Fenders here in yeah. the States. I don't know if they're still doing that or not. I don't believe they are. Um, so now you've got the Squire line, and it says Squire. I know right. we joked and about that, that a few podcasts ago. Don't put Fender on my podcast or on me on my um, headstock. Right. So back up. Fender or Fender has has chosen to at least elect a few from other places. Right. Uh, but what Gibson has not done any of that, right? So right. Gibson has the Epiphone line, but they have horrible, ugly headstocks. Yeah. So what if Gibson said, "Fine, we're gonna we're gonna bring back the Elite line, and it's gonna come out of Korea with a Gibson headstock on it." Wouldn't that be something? Wouldn't I, it be cool? To have now, we know that Chibsons were made at the Epiphone factories. People can lie all day long about it. Yeah, no, it's been pretty pretty well uh, established at this right. point. That there are Chibsons coming out of Epiphone factories in China. Right. So all they've done, they reprogram the CNC to cut the headstock different. So <clears throat> what they what they aren't, and those who are in the know about the Chibson, you look at the Chibson and the Epiphone. They're not the three piece headstock. They don't have those little right. Pieces that are glued onto the edge like Gibson. Okay, I, I, I don't care. I'm, I'm just saying, wouldn't it be awesome if Epiphone put the, the Gibson headstock on there? Yeah. And, and you know what? I, I, I think – so here's the here's the disservice that, that the companies are doing by having these brands to distinguish between their price points. Right. If you are a working guitarist, right, and you play weekend gigs and maybe one night a week during the week – you're making a significant amount of money, probably twenty thousand dollars a year doing gigs. If you're if you're in a cover band or something like that, and you with that twenty thousand dollars, maybe saying, you know, I really don't have enough money in this to go buy a three thousand dollar guitar. I'd rather have like a five or seven hundred dollar Gibson. And the thing is, yeah, they exist. They're faded, right? Uh, uh, which is yep. which is a lower quality line, in my opinion. Yep. So. Wouldn't it be advantageous for Gibson to kind of blur the lines a bit between the branding and what country of origin they are? Exactly. I think that what we need to see more of is with Gibson, like you said, okay, keep the Epiphone line, keep it in. Keep it sub 700. Right. Keep it in the sub 700. But put out some between seven and $1,500 guitars that come from Korea. Or come from Indonesia, and they're your they're your top end imports. Kind of like Fenders. Fenders make them nitros. Yeah, I don't even care if they're nitro finished. To be honest with you, it's one of those things where it's like, at that price point, do I expect a guitar to be nitro finished? Not really. Exactly. But here's the thing. So, um, if you look at uh, Gibson and that that whole nitro finish thing, obviously the nitro finish is about the way it it ages. All right. Yeah, is, well, it, there's a little is, bit of myth on that too because uh, the nitro that they the nitro they use today is different than the nitro they used thirty years ago. You and I we're 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 preachers to the choir on that yep. one. But you talk to somebody who doesn't know anything more about it. All right, nitro is nitro, <laughs> and nitro is nitro. They don't know anything about you know the chemical um, the chemicals underneath. Honestly, I don't know the chemical composition of nitro in the 50s versus then but i do know that they had to change some of the stuff because of epa regulations well and also to make a better quality nitro finish nitro finishes are notoriously uh hard to actually spray and get right every single time right anybody who does real nitro work now 
that the way they used to do it, and 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 Heritage is a good example, uh, has finished problems. And yeah. nobody will tell you Heritage has finished problems because they'll just refinish the guitar before it gets to the shop. Yep. Yep. So you won't see them, which is good. That's a quality control thing. Yep. But who wants to who wants to redo it? So, um, what I was getting at is, you know, why not have that? And you know, uh, hopefully Gibson is listening, and not to us, we're we're morons, right? But listening to the the um, whole of the the world of guitar buying and playing, I was <clears throat> I was on Facebook with Eddie um, Eddie Heinzelman, who's um, on tour right now, and he. Um, He's playing with a uh, bunch of other country musicians, and the we were talking about the fact that his favorite Fender is a G and L. So I'm just telling. <laughs> well, hey, sounds like a man after my own How heart. How about that? I was just yeah. I mentioned you. I so, I said, oh I'm yeah. Gonna, I'm probably going to bring both my S five hundreds to uh, Gear Fest. So oh cool, and that's the thing. Because he can get a handle on both of them. Yeah, so he's playing an a, you know, ASAT and S five hundred, and um, it's just it's just funny to see, um, you know, my he, next my next purchase may actually be an ASAT. Yeah, and he's out there with Johnny Highland. Um, those of you who uh, know the country uh, music, fast pickers, um, Highland. Yeah, you know, is, he's pretty uh, pretty with it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He was a PRS guy for a while. Yeah, I think I think I remember hearing that. Yep. So, um, you know, you know who actually plays GNL, Jim? Who's that? Uh, Elliot Easton. Yeah, yeah, from the Cars, right? Yeah. And he was a uh, uh, well, he was a um, Fender guy. He played. I, I know. I saw him play played a lot songs. of vintage Tellys and stuff. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And now he's he's played, a, he plays all kinds of stuff, but, but I mean, you know, a lot of time Eddie Telly. Eddie was saying, and this is where the practical guitarist, the practical part comes in. Eddie was saying, why would I want a lug? Because the whole thing started off, he saw a 1960 Les Paul for $265,000. Yeah, and, and not said, everyone can be Joe Bonamassa and take him on the road. <laughs> that's right. And, and that's what we got to. But um, I said, well, that's cheap because um, uh, Norm's Rare Guitar has one for $325,000. And the um, conversation started to move into... Um, you know, the, the tellies, you know, because these guys are telly and strat masters, um, strata, I, I like to call them strata masters. Um, yeah. and they, and they're out there, yeah. And he goes, he goes, no, I'd rather bring a GNL. And here's a guy night after night, he went it up. Um, you can't play with Johnny Highland. So can't be that, yeah. that bad, you know, and he's using a strat, um, or I mean, an ASAT and, a um, uh, and an S 500. So, yeah, call it what it is. It's a strat. <laughs> yeah, it's just telling a strat. And it was the, by Leo Fender. And I said to him, he said, he said, you know, some of the best Fenders, Fender did some of his best work when he moved to, you know, Music Man, obviously, GNL. Yeah. As we, we've discussed before, when I got to play the bad guy on that conversation. <clears throat> yep. um, that was the, um, the thing that we, uh, we see here is that, that a lot of people are like, why is it that there's a community of people? This is what I don't get. There's this community of people who think that the best ideas in rock guitars came in the 50s, and nobody had a good idea after that. I'm not oh, saying that, that everybody's like that, but there is such a huge, huge number of people who are willing to pay super premium top dollar for a guitar that's actually uncomfortable, 
And Jim, it's a fad thing. It's a fad. It's a fad. Look, it's it's like people who collect vinyl records. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not saying that vinyl records are fad. Look, they do sound different, and I get that there are reasons why you might actually like the sound of vinyl. But the reality is, there's a lot more people out there who are buying it because it's cool. And it's not because, you know, that's why these roadboard guitars and stuff and these relic guitars are so popular. Yeah. Because guess what? That's what people want. Well, so I played, <clears throat> I played a couple of roadworn um, guitars. And the only thing I can say for them was that right out of the box, they were more comfortable than any guitar. Sure. But then again, it hadn't been worn to me. And the thing that, <sighs> all right, we have to look at, it's just like your favorite pair of jeans. They didn't become your favorite pair of jeans because some guy at Levi wore them for three weeks and then sent them out to you with his ass prints in them, right? So right. I'm just, I, I know I'm coming off as a, a little extreme, but that's what it is. That's what well, world wearing is. Right, right. Well, and there's, there's a couple components to that, too. Um, you could make a guitar that's extremely comfortable just in the same way that a road-worn guitar would be comfortable. In other words, where your elbow hits is all worn away and you know, your wrist is like it's more ergonomic. You could do that. It wouldn't look the same way. And that's the thing. It's right. mostly an aesthetic thing more than anything else. And that's what I'm pointing out. Even though people – look, I could take my S500 just sitting here right next to me with – it's got a urethane finish on it, yep. polyester whatever. Right. And I could go over it and I could sand away the parts of my arm rub and, and stick on the body and I could sand the back of the neck and guess what? It would play just as good as a road worn guitar. But the right. thing is, they want it to look cool too. And that's a big part of that. Yes. And what they do, I, I mean, those who know about the war, road wearing, they, they finish the guitar all the way. Then they take finish off of it. Do you know where this comes from, Jim? Like where this this whole uh, ide- ideology comes from? No. Uh, of course, there are some famous guitars that have had serious damage done to them and, wa- and had wear done to them, like Willie Nelson's Trigger, for example. Yeah. Yep. Uh, he's a perfect example. But you know who's the one that really caused it all was Stevie Ray Vaughan. Yes, I know that the custom yeah, shop did it for. Uh, they did it for what, what's his face? Uh, Rolling Stones. Oh yeah, they did yeah, he Keith, his guitar first, Keith Richards. But the th- yeah, Keith Richards, Keith Richards. I was I was just drawing a blank. Um, but Stevie Ray, that was the one everybody saw, and they were like, "Holy crap, that guitar is destroyed!" Yep. And everybody else is like, "How do I get a destroyed guitar?" You know, it's like, well, uh, first you have to say everybody had two tube screamers on their board now. You know, see, <laughs> see, <clears throat> to become like Stevie Ray's guitar first, you have to go to a shop with almost no money. And see a guitar you really like, but pick the one you only have the money for. That's what happened with Stevie Ray Vaughan, right? The whole no, that was the um, that was that one of his other one? guitars. No, no, number one, he came in and he said, "That's the one." That's and yeah, he, that's pointed, it. Out, he pointed like, up to it. He, he, said, he didn't no, even play it. One. Yep. He didn't even play it. <laughs> so he takes it. He takes it out. It wasn't. It wasn't set up for him or anything. But but step two, you got to get really stoned and play a lot of shows and just <laughs> like. The shit out beat of it. the living, do a lot of cocaine, right? Beat the living did a lot of shit cocaine. out of your guitar. I mean, that guy played with the <laughs> fever. Uh, he rode around on it. Yeah, he stood on it and rode it like a fucking surfboard. I mean, if you're gonna, if, if you treat your guitars like me, you will never get a road worn guitar in your life. It's not, not like that. Happen. Not like that. 
I, not unless you like it fell I off the back mine, of the truck and you didn't realize it. Yeah, <laughs> I wipe mine down and I'm constantly. I mean, oh, I, I got a little sweat on it. Hold on, let me get that off. Yeah, right. I won't even. I won't even start playing till I wipe off the sweat from the last song. <laughs> so, Jim, Jim, I have a confession to make. I had a guitar yep. that I decided I was never going to clean it. Okay, and it still looks fine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but that's the improvement in the in the polyurethanes yeah, and the and the right. And the nitroses. And that's, you know... It, so, the question that we have to ask um, Gibson is, are you going to listen to your constituents? Are you going to change your price points? Are you going to make some guitars that people can afford, that they like? They Yes, people do like some Epiphones, but Epiphone has a God-blessed ugly headstock. It always has. Redesign the fucking headstock! There right. you go! Right? Do something. Do something. Nobody gives a shit about... Now I'm gonna get angry. Nobody gives a shit about Epiphone. No. Okay. Nobody's sitting around going, "Oh my God!" I if wish you I change had... that headstock to the casino. I'm gonna fucking flip my shit. Oh, some asshole a... will. Some asshole's gonna say that's not the one like John Lennon played. Okay. Let Let me define nobody. Nobody is a group of people that is less than you know. Who gives a shit? <laughs> okay. Right. It's, it, it, it's like uh, at a at a association that I know of. Not the association I work for. They have they were having issues, and the problem was they were trying to pander to a small group of people. They were they had ten thousand members, and they were trying to listen to what the two like one hundred of them, and letting them make all the decisions for the rest of the members. And they actually tanked their association by doing that. That's the danger of listening to that small voice in the back of the room. It's like, oh my god, you're changing the Epiphone headstock. It's traditional. Fuck you. Nobody cares about Epiphone. Nobody does. Absolutely. Nobody wakes up in the morning going, you know, I wish I had an Epiphone. No, they go like this. Not, not that there's anything. I'm Please don't take that. Right. But it's, uh, don't take it wrong. I had a guy come to the gig and he says to me, he goes, oh, you have a real Les Paul. And I went, yeah. He goes, I have an Epiphone. <laughs> so I'm just saying that. Yeah, like I, I totally hear you. I had a, you know, all right. So the last uh, open mic thing I played, guy comes up to me and I had my SG, and he comes up to me and he says, he said that's an SG, that's a Gibson, and I said yeah. I said I'm, you know I got it on a deal a while back, and he looks at me, and he goes, he goes, I have one of those somewhere, like in storage or something, and I just like, so you have like a thousand dollar guitar somewhere, like freaking you know in storage, like. <laughs> You know, what? you know what you're going to find out is he's got one of those low end vipers. <laughs> yeah, that's because a hundred dollar, hundred dollar SG copy. Yeah, exactly. He's got the the um, Epiphone faded, um, whatever they call that, really low low end SG. Oh my god, ninety nine dollar SG. Special. You couldn't move the neck. You couldn't play it because when you when you played it and your hands moved up and down the neck, it changes the intonation. The G100s are real bad for that. Mine is bad for that. And I'm a physical player, so I have to really finesse it to keep the guitar in tune while I'm playing it. So It's incredible. So, folks, you know, what do you think? I mean, if you had a minute with Henry Jeskowitz or anybody that could make some decisions at Gibson, you had one thing you could tell him. One thing. Not, not you suck. Okay, that's not helpful. Something that's a helpful piece of input, what would you tell them? All right. I agree. Give us your feedback. Show us show us your colors. Yep. However, I also want to point out that there is a I have seen people 
in various gear groups in the last week or two, just being like, Gibson sucks dick. Yeah. Or stupid shit like that. First yeah, off, you're. They got what they deserve. No. Yeah. It's like, well, okay, thanks. Number one, the company is more than just the CEO. Right. Number two, uh, you're big fanboys, and it's very clear to everyone else. And you just look stupid. Yeah. So. Yeah, you want to? Hey, I, I'm an equal opportunity player. I'm not. I I don't seek out Gibsons. Right. Uh, I tend to come from more of a Fender background, but I appreciate them, and and I don't want them to go away. Right. I I agree with you wholeheartedly, and I think that there is a certain amount of history that needs to be preserved. Um, but that said, I think that Gibson can listen up. So if I had one thing. I could only say one thing to him. I'd say, find a way to give us quality guitars between um, eight hundred and fifteen hundred dollars. Give us, give us some good guitars in that price point regularly. Not the studio line, because the studio line actually barely, barely makes it into that. Barely. That's the high end of that. You should have studios. Studios. That should be the. That should be the beginning of that. Eight hundred to a thousand dollar line is the studio. I mean, that was the guitar in the beginning that didn't have the cap. And then they had to put yeah. caps on them. Oh, we got to make the studios look more like the. No, <laughs> that was was the whole. Uh, idea. You know what? Everybody loves the Fender aesthetic with the solid colors. Right now, make some solid fucking colors. Yeah. Les Pauls in odd colors. Like seafoam green and and you shit like that. Honestly, they got they got shit on all over because they did that custom shop van color line. I oh would buy God. one of those if it were a studio. They're but fucking was, awesome looking. Yeah, here was the problem that they said. You know what? We're gonna come out with these really cool colors, and they're four thousand dollars. Yeah, like what, what the fuck? The fuck are you thinking? That's they're, weird. They're, they're they're custom colors. Like I, I just want to I just want to slap them. If I'm buying from the custom shop and I'm buying a Gibson, I'm not buying his flat color. What the fuck? Right. Exactly. Who in their right mind would do such a thing? <sighs> Obviously, like five people did. Yeah. Maybe so, ten. Anyway. So. Well, you know, well, management must have signed off on that one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Henry, <laughs> Henry, we just want to thank you. Well, thanks, yep. everybody, for tuning in today. I have been, been Jim. David. And I have been David again. And he has been David again. And again. Every time yeah, he's been I, David. I be again. I've been David a couple times now. And I've been Jim. And we are practical guitarists. Thanks. See. Okay.